to be frank, it was really hot in that arena. Uh, and I'm a large man who is insulated much like a polar bear. Um, and I nearly died three times. Welcome to Historical Baptist FC, life and ministry from a historical Baptist perspective. I'm Robert Klotz, senior pastor at First Baptist Church of Talladega, Alabama. And I'm Heath Walton, but I'll be over here because I sound terrible. Wait, hey Robert, what's the FC stand for? I have no idea. Let's just go with football club again. I'm I'm tired. It's been a long week. I think you're tired. Absolutely. We had planned to, this is actually our portable setup. We had planned to do this uh, in Nashville, uh, really every night in Nashville, but uh, we're pretty occupied late into the night, um, all the nights we were there um, with other meetings and just different things going on. So Mine was food. Yes, you were eating and we were at meetings. Um, but anyway, um, so we there, there's a lot for us to talk about. Uh, as far as a review, um, just sort of synopsis of the Southern Baptist Convention, which we just got back from, um, the echo in your ear is driving me crazy because I can hear it. I can hear my own voice echoing in your earbud in your ear. It's weird. How's that? Better, except now I lost my train of thought. Anyway, we will probably do several episodes um, on some of the specifics from the Southern Baptist Convention uh, but we wanted to go ahead and sort of give some immediate reaction, I suppose, even though we haven't fully digested it and thought through it um, in the coming weeks. I'm sure we'll talk about more specific issues. I think we'll talk about more specific issues as some some things come more to light. I think one of the most interesting things is um, a yet-to-be-resolved Supreme Court case having to do with uh, the North American Mission Board and wanting to know more about that. So I think uh, that was raised several times um, over the course of the convention. Um, I think the fact that we did not get some decisive answers actually made some people rather uneasy, as it probably should have. Um, I, I know there was a, a bit of a bit of a kerfuffle about that on the last day, which which we we missed um, that moment uh, when some of that was going on, sort of in our section. Some people wanted to ask some questions about that that just we ran out of time for. But um, it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. We've talked some about some of the issues going on with that in a previous episode with the executive committee and, and the, uh, if you'll remember the legal brief that misdefined what the role of the North American mission board is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, the ERLC not I was stepping say, in wasn't on that. It the ERLC that it, was misdefined? It was, well, we talked about how we think that ERLC is misdefined, but anyway, go back and listen to that episode because some of that's going to come back up again. Um, but let's, uh, I guess let's just do some general review. And again, we'll, we'll talk more about specifics in later episodes because there's a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about. Uh, I'm actually in the process of working on a, a written report for our church family um, that we may, we may publish somewhere and link it on the Historical Baptist FC Twitter feed or something so that uh, others can read it if they'd like to just see sort of our written report to our church. Um I would say, so the word I used even in my written report to describe my overall feelings at the end of it uh, is the word resolved. I think um, I have dear brothers and sisters who are so happy about the way things went. And then I have other dear brothers and sisters who are so discouraged by the way that things went. In fact, some of them are, are now... You know, some groups of them are talking about: Do we stay? Do we go? Are there other 
uh, groups of Baptists that will sort of accomplish what we want to accomplish. Um, and then there are plenty of us sort of left in the middle. Um, and I, I think that for me, I'm not left in the middle wondering what we're going to do. I'm left in the middle, again, uh, to use that same word, resolved. Uh, resolved that I think there is potential to move in the direction that I think is the right direction. Resolved that there's a lot of work to be done to get that to happen. But resolve that the right things are happening for those moves to be made. Um, I am resolved that the Southern Baptist Convention, as again we talked about in a previous episode, is not uh, burning with the fires of liberalism. Um, that we are not to the point where we were in the 70s and 80s where that decisive a conservative resurgence is necessary yet. And I am resolved because I think that there are people involved in our convention who don't want it ever to get there again. And so even some of the arguments that we're having right now amongst ourselves are not nearly as serious as they were then. And I think that you have enough of a movement right now uh, that is opposed to those sorts of arguments ever happening again that they're not even going to let it go that far if, if that makes sense and I'm resolved to be a part of that okay so I, I we talk about when we talk back to the 70s and 80s about the conservative resurgence we talk about um, conservatives and liberals or at least that's the terminology that we as conservatives would use and again we're not talking about political conservatives we're talking about biblical theological conservatives the language that the other side would use would be fundamentalists versus moderates. And so if you wanted to use that terminology, then I guess you would put us pretty squarely in the fundamentalist or conservative camp. Um, and then if you wanted to use the, you know, the, the other side of that would be the moderates or the liberals. Now, I, again, I don't think that the moderates in our day are nearly as legitimately theologically liberal as were those in the 70s and 80s. And that word I keep using, resolved, comes because, I again, I think the conservative among us, the biblically conservative among us, are determined to not let it ever get that far again. Uh, and so the moderates you see right now are about as moderate as it's going to get. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the fence post, I guess, has moved decisively inward. And I think there's a strong enough collective to not let it move back leftward. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Do you agree with that, that sentiment? I, I do. I agree with that. Um, now, I, I will say, again, just general feelings. I was disappointed without being discouraged um, at the end of Tuesday. Um, I was tempted to be discouraged. I have friends who are discouraged. I was certainly disappointed. Uh, the candidate that I supported for president did not win. Um, and, and, you know, there were four of them. <laughs> and so, obviously, there were three camps who were disappointed. Um, but, again, even though I have some pretty decisive disagreements with Ed Litton, who is now the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, on some second-tier issues that I believe are pretty important second-tier issues, that's why they're second-tier, not third-tier, I am encouraged by some of the things that he says uh, now in, in his press conference and some of the press releases 
Um, I have not watched the tape yet uh, or the recording yet, but uh, I understand that he went on CNN and they were talking about, you know, you guys really pushed back the hard right who were trying to take over the convention. And from what I understood, what I understand without having watched that myself as of yet, um, he, he pushed back and said, no, 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 you know, the, the, this is not hard. We're very united together. We're all very conservative. We believe the Bible to be an errant, et cetera, et cetera. I'm glad to hear him say things like that. Now, my biggest, the biggest reason I was not an Ed Litton supporter was because I do believe he's rather soft on complementarianism. I think that his his version of complementarianism is a soft complementarianism at best. Uh, and, and I have some pretty pretty big disagreements with what he believes complementarianism should be from a biblical perspective as well as some other issues but that's the big one for me uh, but the fact that he would at least claim to be in an you know to believe in inerrancy and not be so far to the other side that he would say that he would start talking about inerrancy different than you and I talk about it mm-hmm. he talks about the application of some of those things differently than you and I talk about them and I think that that's legitimate enough reason for me not to have voted for him and not to support him but hearing now some of the things that he's saying make me feel better while still disappointed if that mm-hmm. makes sense now, would you share that that sentiment as well I do um, of course let me turn this here we're using one microphone, and I also have a pretty mean sinus infection, so I don't want to spend a lot of time, you know, hacking into your mic. Um, I do agree. Uh, you know, I, I left somewhere in between disappointed and discouraged on many things. Um, but as it pertains to that particular election, I, I believe I'm in the same place that you are. Now, I haven't heard the stuff he said afterwards because, quite frankly, I'd, I'd heard enough of SBC stuff for a few days, so I, I took a break from it. I've just now started watching um, some of the stuff that I missed when I left early. Now, before you start judging me for leaving early, I left to go to a doctor's appointment um, in Alabama. So I, I got out of there pretty quick because, to be frank, it was really hot in that arena, uh, and I'm a large man who is insulated much like a polar bear, um, and I nearly died three times. So, yeah, I share the same sentiment. So, um, let me talk about what did discourage me on Tuesday. Okay, so the election disappointed me, but I have since felt okay about it while still disappointed. What discouraged me was the rhetoric. Now, I've got friends who say that very same thing, disappointed by the rhetoric that they hear. My problem is, and and again, this is what was most discouraging to me, when they say that, they mean the rhetoric coming from um, the more conservative, what they would now label the fundamentalist side of the SBC, some of those factions. So uh, conservative Baptist network factions, the faction, some of which would, would have voted for Al Mohler, the more, uh, the, those, um, you know, reform Baptists among the Southern Baptists. So that, that whole side, um, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at uh, Founders Ministry, G3, those. So when, when some of my friends talk about the rhetoric is too harsh, they mean those guys. The harshest rhetoric I heard on Tuesday especially, but some into Wednesday, was the rhetoric against those guys. And that, that discouraged me. 
the fact that there was, and, and I don't want to name names, maybe I should, um, but the fact that there were some who took the mic from the platform who would yell and scream when some of those guys raised what I felt were legitimate concerns in what was appropriate parliamentary procedure from the floor were then grandstanded against and the platform was used as a weapon against them. Now, the reason that is so discouraging and frustrating is because, listen, I think you and I would agree on this, that it's the very same thing that we see in um, in American politics, right? Where you hear somebody say, you know, stop talking so mean about me. You need to just have unity. You know, we all need unity. And what they're doing is they're using that as a weapon against the people they disagree with as if the only way to have unity is to agree with what I'm saying and I'm going to bombastically sound like the great unifier who's above you because you're the one being so awful. When in fact, it was the exact reverse. The people being so divisive and using the harshest language were the people yelling at other people about not being so divisive. And that was incredibly frustrating that there were people from the platform. And listen, I do not mean J.D. Greer no, during his moderating. I'll give a more blunt um, example in just a moment. Um, J.D. Greer's moderating, especially on Wednesday, but even some on Tuesday, was... I, I mean, it, it, listen, if you're a pastor who doesn't know how to moderate a business meeting, just go back and watch the the recording of JD moderating that giant business meeting because in large part he did a wonderful job it was some of the entity heads and some of the committee chairs from the platform who when they had the chance to speak in response to a question asked from the floor used it as an opportunity Quip. to to be quippy or even outright bombastic and insulting to try to get some applause to try to get more people rallied on their side and while they were there accusing the people from the floor of being awful and divisive they were the ones using the worst rhetoric the most belittling unchristian unloving i mean that part was truly discouraging and even disheartening for me. And, and I mean, you heard me voice some real anger at some of those people because of the way that they were treating brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah, and I would say that, that there were also people that I would have agreed with their point uh, when they stepped up to the microphone, but when they didn't get their way, they too began yelling and, and being very self-centered. And I think that's what that comes down to. There's a lot of self-centered people who just want to have their moment. Sure. Um, well, and, and I would agree with that. But but can I then bring the other side of that to say, and, and I know you, you pulled up something you want to you wanna read and get to. Um, the people on the platform are considered leaders for a reason. Yep. And again, every pastor in that room knows that even if you get into a business meeting where somebody is being rather unchristian to you from the floor, it is your responsibility as the leader to speak lovingly, graciously, kindly, and in a, a business meeting appropriate manner, not to be bombastic back. And what I saw was the opposite. I saw trying to out-bombast one another, if that makes sense. And yes. some of the worst of it from what I experienced I saw from the platform, not from the floor. Yeah, so one of the big things that I had an issue with was the seeking out of mic drop moments. Yes. Um, looking for those 
you know, they wanted their echo chamber to go and just give them a standing ovation. That drove me insane. Um, one particular instance, and I'll name his name, James Merritt basically said that if you, um, I, I wish that some of you who were so vocal about CRT would, you know, basically have that same care for the gospel uh, or evangelism. And I said, you know, I, I thought about this and I posted this about two hours ago from the time of recording that concern and defense against CRT is not antithetical to the gospel because there's only one gospel that leads to reconciliation with God and others and critical theory is not it. I'm very thankful for denunciations of it this week at the SBC and I truly was, but I did not appreciate quips that suggested a deep concern for true gospel is somehow antithetical to evangelism. That bothered me a lot. Uh, but then on the flip side of that, I also wrote, no, caring for racial reconciliation should not absolutely be dismissed as subscribing to CRT, nor should challenging CRT be dismissed as not caring about racial reconciliation. Remember, on both sides, the only thing that breaks down every wall of hostility is the gospel. Um, I saw when I got home that a guy posted that um, there are people in the SBC who have a the sky is falling mentality. And that may be true to an extent, quite frankly. Um, but I said to have concerns over the direction of the SBC does not equate to being a Pharisee, um, nor does it equate to a sky's falling mentality for the vast majority of those with concerns of us, people like us. It simply means that we really do love and care for, for our convention. And by our convention, I mean not the system. I mean our brothers and sisters who make up the convention that are in the pews each week. It's because we care and love for them. Uh, and so I, I just did not think that if we were gonna be you know, united or together or whatever our theme was, that being quippy and sarcastic was helpful at all. And to the flip side of that, a lot of the yelling from the floor also was not necessary. Yeah, and what what struck me as pretty ironic about that is that a lot of that got started in dealing with Resolution 2, which I want to talk about in more specificity, but I think again, we'll probably wait till we'll wait till another episode to talk about the resolutions and, and what they meant and some of the motions of the floor get into some of the specifics. I really want to just talk in generalities um, for this episode, but um, Resolution 2 is where a lot of that got raised and I think it was a pretty well-written resolution on its on its face. Um, as far as denouncing both um, racism and, and pushing for racial reconciliation while also denouncing anything but the gospel is sufficient to do that, I think it was well written. However, I also understand what I felt were legitimate concerns that if we specifically named critical race theory in 2019, should we not also now make an effort to, to specifically name critical race theory in this motion? Because that w w there were so many Southern Baptists who I think rightly believe that we made a mistake in 2019. Um, it was explained and I think well explained, and we'll talk about this later too, that you cannot um, reverse uh, a resolution that's made in a previous year. Once it's been made, it's been made, but you can speak against it another year. And I think that if we truly believe, as many Southern Baptists do, that we made a resolution we shouldn't have made in 2019, and we can't now denounce it, we should at least speak against it as specifically as 
it spoke of itself in 2019. So I think there were legitimate concerns about why we weren't naming specifically critical race theory in resolution two from 2021. Uh, but again, on its face, it was a good resolution. I think I think it was good. But it was when those what I felt were legitimate concerns were raised, which again, I was okay with it not being that specific. But when the concerns were raised, I think it was foolhardy to be as bombastic and belittling as the platform was toward those messengers from the floor who were concerned that it hadn't that critical race theory hadn't specifically been denounced in resolution two for all of its good in resolution two they had that question about it i think it was a legitimate question and i think they were treated quite frankly in an unchristian manner uh in the way that they were treated by the chair at that point and again i'm not talking about the president the moderator i'm talking about the chair of the committee uh who was in charge of answering those questions in that moment i think i already said his name yeah Sorry about that. Um, so, uh, oh, so so my my point that so that happened on resolution two. What was most ironic about that was that as you as you're saying, it was mic drop moments. It was Twitter. It was Twitter esque language. It was, it was Twitter from the platform. Right after resolution one, in which we agreed to not talk that way to each other. Yes. We start debating Resolution 2 in exactly the kind of language we just denounced in Resolution 1. Which could bring us to a discussion on the point of resolutions, but we'll just leave that alone. Okay. Uh, I did see that uh, there was a, a man who posted on Twitter. Um, I think I believe he's an evangelist. Um, let me try to find his post one more time. And, and he had something to say as well about uh, this very subject. He said, just an observation... From SBC 21, the one who yelled loudest and got the most minutes at the microphone won, and that was always the ones on the platform. It was almost a form of bullying, of intimidation. I don't know if I go that far, but he said, I would. You would you? I would. He said, if a messenger tried that, they would have been rebuked from the president, Correct. which they were. Correct. As as well, they should have been. As they should have been, but you know that would be the one critique I would have the, of the the moderation there was that. Perhaps there could have been a thank you, brother. You yeah, answered the question. I, I would be curious to to find out if anyone has ever done that. If if that has ever been done, because and, and again, you know, there's a moment when Adrian Rogers does that. He bangs the gavel in in the '80s and says, "Brother, you may not denigrate a brother in Christ. You may speak against the motion. You may not speak against a person." And you know, everybody. Yeah. Well, Wonderful moment. Wonderful moment. Has anybody ever done that to the chair of the committee who's on the platform doing the same thing? I don't know. I, and and as, you, as you said, to, to J.D. Greer's credit, he did that several times when it became absolutely necessary with people from the floor who were just shouting and try, you know, trying to do things the way they shouldn't have been done or attacking a person rather than the motion. But when it started happening from the platform, it was never shut down and, and, and it should have been a couple of times. And ironically, um, as opposed to what many, I don't know if they'd listen to this, but as uh, what many brothers would say, um, the most respectful one that I found from the microphone was Tom Askell. At the very end, when they explained why um, his motion did not pass, he said, basically, thank you for the clarification. You know, exactly. thank you, Mr. President. And then he sat down. Um, we know that Tom can be a, a you know, a, a strong bull of a man who can who can give very pointed language to people at times. But, you know, I, I wish 
that for all this unity rhetoric that went around, that there was actually true unity rather than just trying to make one side be quiet because we want it. You know what I mean? And that bothered me a little bit. Um, but yeah, so we've we've I think we've talked about that now ad nauseum. But well, can I can I say that there's a big difference? There's a there's a big difference between trying to trying to win the argument and trying to persuade your brother. Yeah. So I put that on Facebook. Is why are we trying to you know win or silence our brothers instead of gaining them? Yes. Um, that, Matthew eighteen does apply in this in the sense of how Christians should act to one another. Well, and now here's the reality, okay? So we started this with me saying that I've got dear friends who are really excited about the way things went, and I have dear friends who are ready to leave. Yeah. And then I've got dear friends like, like, you know, like us um, who are somewhere in the middle, just, you know, just like us, trying to figure out, you know, okay, what do we do next? Isn't that the way that the... Uh, and I think... Not isn't that the way. That is the way that the majority of the convention is. The majority of the convention isn't Tom Askell versus James Merritt. It's not two guys going at each other. It, it you know it, it, it's not that. And, and again, I, I think you're right. I think Tom Askell, for for all the the bad press he gets, was very dignified in that moment. And the only one speaking the way they shouldn't have spoken in that exchange in particular. Uh, was was Dr. Merritt, and and you know I'm thankful for all he did as president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, you know I'm thankful for the many ways he has served, but I I have I have not appreciated the way he's conducted himself, quite frankly, on Twitter for over two years now, nor the way he conducted himself as as chair of that of that committee. I, I do not think he he did well, and I hope that I'll rather than being partisan, I I can sort of try to give credit where credit is due, and and be honest in those reflections again. Uh, J.D. Greer has not always been my favorite person, but man, did he do a good job moderating. A great job moderating. Um, and, and you know, yeah, Tom Askell, I would agree with, you know, his sentiments a lot of times and would not agree with the way he does things, but I agreed with both his sentiment and the way he expressed himself at this meeting while I, I, re- I really think it, the, the chair of that committee did not handle himself well in that exchange. No, and I'll say this, too, for those listening who don't know Robert very well. Robert, I think he has two favorite books in the world, number one being the Scriptures, the Bible, number two being Robert's Rules of Order. Um, he, he loves a good moderator, and, and we get that sort of picture at our church of what a moderator is supposed to be, no matter what is being said from the floor of our meetings. Robert is going to be, you know, non-partial to anything he's just going to say i hear you and then i mean it's very to the point and that's how a moderator should be and honestly i know there will be even friends who disagree with me right now i do think jd did you know a pretty fine job moderating the meeting keeping it under control um there there are rules in place for a reason because meetings with that many people are very difficult um so I didn't think it was helpful yelling out shameful from the floor and all that kind of stuff just because you didn't get your motion in, you know. But I still think, uh, can I ask you this? What was your favorite motion? I know what mine was. Yours is the AC guy. Mine was the guy, Green Bomb or whatever his name was. But now his second one got on my nerves. I'm going to be honest. No offense to you. You don't listen to us, but no offense to you. Your second motion was... Baumgartner? Baumgartner. Yeah, something. I don't know. 
I don't know. Whatever your last name was. Some um, guy's listening who knows him and is laughing. It's okay. But your motion about the air conditioning was perhaps the greatest motion I've ever heard in my life. Um, I may have even stood up. It was a and point a, of order. Applauded. As, point uh, of order. As a point of order, it was a point of order. As a point of order. <laughs> um, that was just fantastic. Maybe you could have left it there, but, um, and that's just because I, I think he was missing the point of what people were saying about the, the other one. But that was my favorite motion of the day. Like that won it. What was your favorite motion that was given? I don't know. Come on. I mean that that was a great moment. I I liked that. Um, I don't know. My favorite part was how JD goes. Obviously, there's a second like that was that was pretty great. I thought that was a good moment. I don't know. I mean, I wrote down all the motions as they were coming, but of course, we only dealt with a few of them, which is which is normal. A lot of the motions really are out of order, or they need to go to committee, or or whatever else. Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> But here's the thing about that motion, though, or that point of order. It got the second. I saw people raise all their ballots, right? Did they ever turn that air on? Because I had to leave several times because I got so hot. They tried. Right behind sign number one. But when you're expecting only about 10,000 people and a total of 21,000 people show up in the building, I could see how it could be difficult to keep it cool in there. I'll tell you what my favorite was. I'll tell you what my favorite motion was, and it it got sent to committee. It barely got a second, and it would never work, which is why it's never going to happen. But I will tell you unequivocally that my favorite motion uh, was from Ted Trailer at Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola. Yeah, and I, I think it was a little noticed moment, but he moved that the that there that we disband the committee on resolutions. Which, again, I, I think a lot it just sort of passed by a lot of people. I don't think it went over their heads. It just sort of passed them by. What that would mean is that all resolutions have to come from the messengers. They don't come through committee. Now, the reason it will never happen is because I realize that would make the convention have to be 18 days long. Because you'd have to sort through every single motion with amendments and with debate and all those things rather than having a committee that combines motions that are like-minded into one another, um, figuring out those that need to just be cast aside and ruled out of order. All those things take place in the bulletin. They explain why they don't bring certain motions out of committee, all those things. And so it would make it very, very cumbersome. But from from a local church autonomy of a local church kind of person like me i wanted to stand up and give ted trailer a hug now i love ted trailer for a lot of reasons he said some of the greatest lines in sermons i have ever heard and i don't know that he and i would agree theologically on a a lot of things but i know that just as a local church pastor he and i do agree on a lot of things and i've heard him say some amazing things in some sermons on quite frankly in support of guys like me even though he wouldn't always agree with guys like me which then make me love guys like him um but i i would love to see every you know that that every resolution has to come from a messenger and not from a committee. I again, it would never actually work. That's why it went to a committee. It'll get rejected by that committee, and we'll have an explanation of it of why it won't work in the book of reports for next year. But that was my favorite. Um, I did like one moment. I can't remember who did it, and I don't know if I agreed with the rest of anything they said. Um, I think it had to do with the executive committee. Um, 
But one line that was said that was memorable and I loved it was we have to remember that the SBC is a bottom up. Um, it starts with the local church and then trickles down from there. Um, I think that's a big takeaway from, from this convention, something that we need to take more seriously as we, you know, as we progress forward and all that stuff, um, is that it is not a hierarchy from committees and entities down to the local churches who mandate things to us. It's the reverse of that, which we talked about in that review of the ERC thing. Yeah, so we've talked about that ad nauseum, and, and I, I think I would like to do another, probably we could probably do 800 episodes because that's quickly becoming the flag that I'm waving. But um, I, I will honestly say that I think that my opinion on this particular issue puts me squarely in my own camp. I can't find a camp to belong to because I do not think that the biggest problem in the SEC, SEC, <laughs> SBC, That's Auburn. Auburn is the biggest problem in the SEC. You shut your mouth. Um, <laughs> Wrong, I, I do not think that the biggest problem in the SBC is critical race theory. I think we made a mistake in 2019. I don't think it's an appropriate analytical tool. I think it's a problem. I think that Resolution 2 addressed it, though not as specifically as we might have liked. I think it addressed it. I think we're okay. I don't think the convention is on fire with CRT, although... It is an issue of concern. I don't think the biggest issue is um, egalitarianism. I think there's some soft complementarianism. I think some of that's a problem. We've addressed some of that. We, we did a whole episode in regards to it. We'll talk more about it in some episodes about you know the convention. Um, I, I, I just voiced my concerns about my, you know, my biggest problem with Ed Litton is I think his complementarianism is so soft it, it it's borderline not even complementarianism anymore um you know he you know yeah he's got a self from from what i understand again i haven't heard him say it out of his own mouth i think he's got a pretty soft complementarianism uh, based on what i've seen um from from him and heard some of the things from him although i i don't think i've ever heard him say that about i don't know how he would characterize his complementarianism anyway I don't think we have rampant liberalism in the seminaries. I was pretty encouraged by the seminary president's reports. Um, you know, I mean, that's a lot of professors working on a lot of levels and a lot of departments at a lot of seminaries to keep track of everybody and everything that gets said. But I don't think the seminaries are on fire like they were in the 80s. I do think that the biggest problem, and I think it is a significant problem, and I think, and, and I hope this will bridge us to what I am encouraged about, um, coming out of, uh, of Wednesday, I do think the biggest problem and the most serious problem is the flipping upside down of our denominational structure. Very much so. To become a top-down rather than a bottom-up hierarchy, hierarchical structure. I think it's a big problem. I think if there's any conspiracy anywhere in the SBC, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist unless it comes to JFK, okay? Um, I, I believe that we landed on the moon, and I, you know, I don't have a, I don't have an unhealthy appetite and cravings for conspiracies. But one I see quite plainly is a move on every level, underhandedly, to move us into that top-down hierarchical structure instead of the bottom-up autonomous church structure that we are cooperating together to send missionaries overseas. 
I mean, if we want to boil down the reason for existence for the Southern Baptist Convention, it's that. Autonomous churches who agree together in the Lord that we're going to partner together to send like-minded missionaries overseas to spread the gospel. That's why we exist. It's the most important thing we do. It's why one of the most encouraging moments in the entire convention was at the end of Monday night with the commission, the IMB commission. That's what I just posted. That is the most encouraging moment. what we exist for and what we exist to do. Exactly. I put the, the... The most encouraging moment of any SBC is always and forever the commissioning of missionaries because that's our purpose. But, again, I think if there's any conspiracy theory that I would ascribe to and perpetuate about the SBC, it's that when you look at why is the North American Mission Board before the Supreme Court right now? Why did the ERLC redefine their mission statement? Why did the North American Mission Board seek to, at this convention, redefine its mission statement and have that rejected? Why did Lifeway seek to redefine its mission statement and have that rejected by the messengers from the floor? Why are all of these things happening? happening. It's because somewhere in the SBC, I believe there is a concerted effort to make those entities more powerful than they are. And I would say more powerful than the local churches. And that is not how our polity works. That's not how the convention works. That's why we're a convention, not a denomination, because we are a collective and a cooperative of local autonomous churches who agree together at the most basic that because we agree on certain doctrinal truths, we can cooperate together to send missionaries overseas. That's that's why we exist. That's and and I think if there's any big, big, big problem that I would blow a whistle about, it's that. It's that flipping of, uh, of into a more hierarchical structure. I think that the people, that the messengers to the SBC need to be reminded that the most powerful chairs in that room are not the seats on the platform, they're the seats on the floor. Those are the most, most powerful chairs in the room, are the ones on the floor. And I think, honestly, and I know this is getting a little conspiracy theorist of me, and maybe I'm pushing this a little too far. I think that the people on the platform haven't forgotten that. I think they're purposefully ignoring it. I think some of the people on the platform want that switch to happen. And some of the people in those entities, and some of them very specifically, uh, one or two entities very, very specifically, maybe three on that list, who want that shift to happen. And they will do anything, even underhanded, that they have to, to make that shift happen. And and I, I think we, as a convention, are watchful enough that critical race theory is not going to become a bigger problem. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that we're watchful enough that true theological liberalism isn't going to become a problem. I think that we're, that we're watchful enough that theological moderates are way to the right of where they were even in the 80s. And we're not going to let that fence post move much further than it already has because you've got enough watchful people in the SBC. And I'm really encouraged about that too. I'll mention more of that later. But I think if there's anything that we're not watching carefully enough that makes me go, you know, there, there's I smoke. There's, I can't see your I know. Arms there, there's smoke, and where there's smoke, there's fire, is that flipping of things into that pyramid rather than the upside-down pyramid we're supposed to be. So let me ask you this. Let's push your con- theory, uh, conspiracy theory button for a second. Is it possible that this is the moment for that because there's so much distraction going on on other subjects you know what i mean like like news sources will will throw out an article to cause an uproar 
while another article will get pushed to, I don't know, like a 3.30 on a Friday afternoon in a little not big headline, little headline, it'll drop what just took place. No one notices it because they're too busy fighting over this. So that brings me to the other thing I'm most encouraged about. Okay, so the two most encouraging moments were Monday afternoon, the IMB Missionary Commissioning Service. That's why we exist. That's what we do. The second most encouraging moment was all day Wednesday for me. Oh, I thought you were going to say David Crowder. Because it was for whom we exist, and that's the people in the pews of local churches. Yeah. All day Wednesday, where we sat close to microphone one, I couldn't find another pastor. There were lay people everywhere. And there were lay people all along the road in front of us, all beside us. We had our little section camped out, but as some of our messengers returned home, we brought seven this year. As some of them returned home or whatever, uh, it sort of kept filling up. With, and all the people behind us, all lay people. And we talked nonstop on Wednesday. And and, and I, I think... Based on some of the motions that were put forth by the executive committee, very specifically, that there was a concerted move to, to slip some of this in, specifically in the motions from the executive committee that would have redefined the mission statement for Lifeway and the North American Mission Board. I think that those would have started to flip that structure. But there were so many lay people who came for other reasons. There were lay people there because they were concerned about CRT. There were lay people there because they were concerned about um, possible cover-ups of sexual abuse. There were lay people there who were concerned about all these other things, theological liberalism in the seminaries. They were there to voice their concerns about that. But as soon as they saw this other going on, they started asking me questions. They started asking each other questions. And you could hear like a buzz in the room. And all of a sudden... By Wednesday afternoon, there were two motions that were forced out of committee that were supposed to go to committee as, as, as motions from the floor from Tuesday that by a two-thirds vote got added to the order of business. That was the issue on abortion. We'll talk about that in another episode. And it was the issue on the executive committee not being allowed to decide whether they were going to get investigated or to not. Investigate that the messengers would be the ones to decide that. That got put on the order of business by the messengers. And what you saw was that when we came in on Tuesday, there were four clear factions divided primarily based on who they were voting for, for president. They were pretty well divided. By Wednesday afternoon, it was no longer four factions. It was messengers versus platform, with some exceptions, of course. There were some no votes on the, But effectively, it was people that I wouldn't have agreed with at all on Tuesday. By Wednesday afternoon, all those lay people and all those pastors are all in agreement that no, 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 no. We're in charge here, not the executive committee. We're in charge here, not the North American Mission Board. We're in charge here, not any of the entities. And if we say we're going to investigate you, we're going to investigate you. We deserve the truth. And and that was amazing to watch that many lay people who, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it, it was more underhandedness. Yeah, I'm a little conspiracy theorist on this. But I think the messengers caught it. I think I think that the average Southern Baptist knows what they're looking at. And when you tell them, oh, no, no, we'll be in charge as the entities, they're saying, no, 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 no. You know, we went to our new members class and we know that it's we in the pews of the local churches who are in charge of this thing, not you. So you don't get to decide if you're going to investigate yourselves. That's us. We make that decision. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm going to say this. Um, I'll, I'll show my hand a little bit. I did not vote for Randy uh, Adams, but I was standing in line 
uh, going to get a, a coffee, and I, I just saw a tag that said Everett Adams, and in parentheses it said Randy. I didn't, it didn't click when I saw Everett Adams, and he just walked up and says, "Hello, Heath," and and you know he read my name tag. It's not that he knew me um, because. Come on now, I'm an associate pastor in a small town in Alabama. Um, but we're just talking, you know. He started talking about his perspective as a DOM. I said, where are you a DOM? He said, the Northwest. And that's where I, I said, oh, you know, and I named one of our church members. And we talked about that for a minute. And we started talking about, I, I did tell him, I did appreciate his platform. And I told him, I said, I, I did not cast my vote for you, but I, I do appreciate your platform. Especially, you know, the, the you know, accountability, things like that, that we should, as messengers, we have a right to know things, transparency. And he basically said that he basically figured he wasn't going to win. But in a way he did because he said, my platform got out there. That's what I wanted more was my platform to get out there because that's more important is for the messengers to know that there are certain things that need to be exposed. Um, certain people should be held accountable. And there's a great need for transparency, specifically with finances, but on you know a few more fronts as well. And so I do want to say thank you to Randy Adams for bringing that up. That was a, that was a point well taken, let's just say that. It was, uh, um, I understand that people didn't really like his SBC News paper that he put out. Um, but when you talk to people who've been in the inner workings of those things, some of those things were actually uh, pretty close to the truth. And so um, I do appreciate that. As messengers, we can unite that it is bottom up, not top down. It, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, again, I, I was sitting around a lot of lay people who were excited to be there and who were ready to make the right kind of decisions based on what they knew about Baptist polity. I think even from our church, you know, in 2019, we sent three messengers, two pastors and a lay person. In 2021, we sent seven messengers, two pastors and five lay people. Twelve next year. Um, so uh, if, if, you're, if you're concerned about anything at all in the SBC, whether whether your biggest concern is liberal drift in the seminaries, um, Resolution Nine from 2019, sexual abuse, sexual abuse, um, the flipping of the structure, whatever your concern is, send messengers and and be encouraged, pastors, that lay people are going. And, and I would imagine, now I realize that next year we're in Anaheim, the year after that, we're in Indianapolis. It, the next two years is going to be harder for lay people to get there. But what I saw this year is lay people determined to go and be involved in the process. That this is not just a reunion for pastors, which is, is a, a fun and nice thing. You see all your seminary buddies and all that. It, it's wonderful. But when it comes to the meeting on the floor, to see church members say, this is our Southern Baptist Convention, and we're going to be here to be a part of this process to make sure this is going the way that it needs to go, is incredibly encouraging, especially if you want to make sure that we don't get to the point where we were in the 70s to necessitate another conservative resurgence like there was in the 80s. The people who had to spearhead that conservative resurgence were lay people, and 
And it's going to be lay people again who prevent us from getting that far. And I'm really, really encouraged by the fact they're already showing up. It may never, it may never get, I pray it doesn't ever get as bad as it got because the lay people aren't going to come in and fix the mess. Now they're determined to come in and prevent the mess from ever getting too far. Yeah. Um, one thing I also would encourage is if you are a lay person in the church who um, maybe can't get there, but you can't afford to help messengers go, um, I think that's a well, well worth the investment. Um, you know, talk to your pastor, talk to whoever you need to about setting up some sort of fund to help messengers get to the convention. Um, we need messengers there. We need the Southern Baptist Convention to be heard in its purest form, and that is from the pews. Um, so I, I greatly encourage that, and I, I hope we encourage the people in our church to do the same for next year, as that cost is going to be a little bit greater. Um, you know, Alabama to Anaheim, that's not a short trip. Uh, it's not an easy trip. Uh, and so, you know, I hope we get to send messengers as well with us, as many as we can get to go, uh, as allowed by the convention. I hope we get to do that, but that's going to take other people investing in that as well. Let me see if I can end with this, if I can keep it all straight in my head and be as quippy as possible. Great. The true SBC is not the platform. No, I already messed it up. Hang on. The the true SBC. Wait, wait, wait. Take two. The true SBC is not the podium on the platform. It's the pulpits and the pews of local churches. <laughs>